some of my graduate training was done at the Penn State Children's Eating Lab, which had some world famous nutritionists and psychologists affiliated with it. And I remember after spending time there kind of thinking like, oh, well, when I have kids, I'm going to do this totally right. This is going to be easy. Like I know <laughs> all the things you're not supposed to do. And and then, of course, you, you have kids and they have their own personalities and health challenges and issues and and it's feeding kids is one of the hardest things yeah. Say that again for the people in the back it's so hard to feed our kids the big question is this in a world of fake instagram models and bad diets how do real people achieve their fitness goals we are an army of hard-working women changing their lives through fitness and health. Wherever you are at on your journey, we have the answers to how to make working out and eating well a part of your life. Join us in changing the dialogue for women everywhere. Welcome to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. I'm Rachel and moms and well basically if you have a child that is in any way influenced in your life we have an amazing episode for you today dr charlotte markey is with us and she is the specialist on children body image issues and everything in between and we are so glad to have you on charlotte thank you for being with us today yeah i'm so excited to talk with you Oh my God, I keep saying us. Kelsey's, Kelsey's running late in a photo shoot. I always do this. I've never done it alone. So I'm going to just say us and like it. That's going to be like just me. It's just me here. Just me. It's us. It's me and Charlotte. It's, us. it's me and you. Yeah. It's still us. <laughs> so Dr. Charlotte Markey is a professor of psychology. You got your doctorate from the University of California in health and developmental psychology with a focus on eating behaviors and body image. So first of all, like super important work. And you've written now four books. Yeah, I'm working on number five and I'm editing a number six. So I'm, I'm, I'm keep going. So her first book was Smart People Don't Diet. And then your second book was on body positive understanding and improving, improving your body image. And then you got a little bit more into, into the kids aspect of it, where you did a book called The Body Image Book for Girls. And then subsequently, The Body Image Book for Boys. So not only is your work incredibly important and incredibly needed, but your books have been so well received. You've been interviewed by the New York Times, the Today Show, ABC News. Like people have such amazing things to say about your work. So first of all, I just want to say congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I wanted to let you talk about kind of what inspired you to get into this field and to write these books that have been so important for so many people. I sometimes think like my whole life brought me here. You know, it's so hard to just pick one thing that puts you on the path of whatever you end up doing, right? I was a dancer when I was young and I was very serious about ballet. So I wasn't necessarily just like every girl who takes dance lessons when they're little. But from a very young age, then that meant there was just a lot of focus and discussion in my life about bodies and primarily how thin they were, how thin they needed to be. And so I think I was hyper aware from a very young age of the importance of these issues and how seriously awry things could go for people because there was a lot of disorder eating and the dance world. And, you know, ultimately I left dance. I was focused then more in high school and school and just sort of normal adolescent stuff, sports and cheerleading and went on to college. And I ended up studying psychology and focusing on these issues because they just were so interesting to me. I think I was probably still trying to sort a lot of it out for myself. And 
And I don't know, maybe that's what I'm still doing like 30 years later. I'm not sure sometimes. But I just think that sort of how we perceive ourselves, how we present ourselves to other people, all of the messaging in the world about health and fitness and wellness and what we should eat. And I just think it's all really fascinating. And it presents so many conundrums for, I think, just almost everybody, frankly. I mean, I think that as a mom, I feel it because you have to sort of sort through your own issues and then you're also trying to raise healthy kids who feel good about themselves. But even before I was a parent, I was an adult trying to be a professional and trying to juggle a whole bunch of different balls and it's tricky. It's, you're right. It When we started diving into these issues, at Kelsey and I as you know professionals working in the fitness field and seeing how like the level of how disordered things can really get. I think you're right. I, I think that there is not a person on the planet. You know, I used to think that it was just women. And then I used to think that it was just girls. And now it's just so clear to me that there is really no one that escapes this at some time in their life. And having the tools is just in your toolbox to be able to just like talk about it and think about it and recognize the behaviors is just so, it's just so important. Yeah, I agree. And it's unfortunate and it's sad that so many people, I think, really struggle with body image issues and maladaptive eating and just sort of an inadequate sense of self. But if you look at all the messaging that surrounds us online in any form of the media, you just be driving your car and see a billboard. It's like, it's no wonder that most people struggle. Like we are constantly being told you're not enough the way you are. You're not okay. You need to fix something, whether it be your hair or your skin or the size of your breasts or, I mean, there's just nothing that there isn't a product or a service to fix these days. And so no wonder why we don't know what to do with all that information. We start feeling like, oh, well, yeah, I would like to have bigger breasts or, oh, yeah, I, I, I wish my legs were more toned or, yeah, my skin is aging. I mean, this resonates. It kind of hits us at the core of not just how we look, but who we are. And, and I also think, too, there's something interesting about the idea that wanting to improve yourself inherently isn't a bad thing right? Like wanting to get better somehow across time is not like a terrible goal. I guess it's just sort of in what areas of our lives are we focusing on and are we doing those things in a healthy way? Yeah, it's it's a very blurry line. And of course, there's for only $19.99, there's a product out there and it's so driven by money that it... <laughs> you're right, is you can't go anywhere and there's no area that we're being told we are good enough. And in that way, I want to talk a second about the term body image because it's used all the time. And I really want to define it for our listeners because I or, or your definition of what body image is, because I think before we can start really talking about the importance of it, I think we need to first recognize like, what are the factors surrounding body image? What does it mean to you? As a researcher, you know, the, the basic definition usually is just our thoughts and feelings about our bodies and our appearance. But the longer I've done this work, the more I feel like that definition is too short and really doesn't do justice to what this thing is we're talking about. Because, you know, how we think and feel about our bodies or appearance actually sounds somewhat superficial, frankly. And this is not a superficial issue for people. This is really about our mental health more generally. And we know that body image is really highly correlated with depression, anxiety, disordered eating, other mental health issues. We also know that how we feel about our bodies and our appearance affects our interpersonal relationships. So things that we'll do, people we do engage with, people we avoid, it's a very social construct essentially. And it's, it's really more about I think are both our mental and physical health than just something that's superficial. I'm so glad you said that <laughs> because I think people have a lot of shame and guilt surrounding feeling any type of way about their body that it somehow means they're so vain or all they can do is focus on themselves. You're so right that it's so tied to 
everything that you do. And it's so far reaching in your life that we can't possibly just chalk it up to, oh, come on, like get your head out of the mirror for a second because you can barely fit through the door. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's it. So I wanted to, some sads. These, these stats just I, – I looked up some stats before the podcast and on percentage of kids and that are suffering with body image issues. And honestly, it just is so heartbreaking. It's – I mean, looking at – I work with women every day and looking at what we see every day, it's really not surprising – But it's still heartbreaking because if these women are having these issues, you have to at some point recognize that, you know, these would be being passed on (laughs) in some way or they're being watched. So I looked at a stat that said by 17, 78% of girls have negative feelings about their body and 80% of 10-year-old girls have been on at least one diet. And I think about like what a 10-year-old girl looks like. And I just, and like I'm speaking to the girl, but male body image issues I read have also quadrupled over the past 25 years. So these things are now coming down and really having a profound effect on our children. And I was just, I wanted to ask you, why did you decide to write books for these tweens and teens about body image specifically? Like what drove you to do that? I think just the longer I've worked in this area, the more I come to realize that by the time we reach adulthood, a lot of these concerns are pretty deeply entrenched. They can be really hard uh, to to work out. And of course, it's possible, but I just started to feel more and more like, well, what if they just didn't start? What if we could just prevent some of these issues or just suggest to kids that, no, actually, you're fine the way you are. Like our bodies, our appearances, who we are, we're all unique individuals. We're not going to look like celebrities and influencers for the most part because they don't even look like themselves. They've been edited. Just to try to offer a different perspective that I think is more reassuring to young people and also just based more in scientific evidence, right? I mean, so much of what Uh, young people or even the college students I interact with at Rutgers all the time who are in their 20s, so much of what they think about these issues is inaccurate because they've just been the subject of of too many marketing campaigns. And so, you know, they think they can't eat carbs or they think that they, like crazy things they'll say to me, they have to sleep on in certain positions or something so that you don't age or, you know, whatever it is this is not grounded in any kind of real science for the most part. So, you know, the, the objective is really just to, to offer sort of a reassuring voice to young people and also offer them good evidence-based information about these topics so that as they are confronted with more and more real world information that's often misleading, they hopefully have sort of that sense of self and, have the other information, the good information to just kind of say, no, actually, I don't think that's right. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, the stats on how much a person has been marketed to by the age of 18. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't think they have stats on that because, I mean, it's it's unlimited yeah. amounts, especially with socials. So the thought that at least can we just provide a counter message? Can we just, I mean, yeah. that's unavoidable, right? But like, if that's the only messaging and we're not providing right. any counter message, there's no right. other voices there. Yeah. I think that gets me kind of worked up too, especially as a parent of my own teenagers is, you know, so many of the messaging, it's like the the loudest messages, the loudest voices are often the most insane. They're the least grounded in any kind of science. And so as someone who's been a researcher who considers myself a scientist for 25 years, I feel like if I don't speak up and try to provide that counter voice, who is necessarily, right? And this, which is not to say at all that I'm the only one who, who tries to provide a counter message, but there's just a lot more money and there's a lot more dazzle around a lot of the diet culture message. So speaking of diet culture, you know, I think that Speaking to the the counter message, I think that a lot of parents 
and any any influential figure in a kid's life, teacher, you know, auntie, like whatever, they feel that they want very much to work with the kids around them to make sure that they don't grow up with the body image issues that they might have had, but that they are at a loss for what to say. And they don't really have that counter message to provide because they're not really sure what is the best way to talk to a kid who's expressing feelings of unhappiness with their body. So can you speak to, um, for a second, you know, how do we, how do we address this with kids if they come forward with some kind of negative messaging about their body? Like what's the right approach? I think almost every parent will experience this. And if you have a kid who's less communicative or just kind of shyer, they may not come to you and say like, my friend at school today said I was fat, right? You might not hear it, but you'll see it in other ways. You'll see them start to wear looser clothes or you'll see them start to act more self-consciously or almost every kid will have some sort of experience that's that rocks them. And I think most parents will, will be in touch with this in some way, shape or form. And I think the most important thing is to start at a very young age explaining to our kids how much we love and value them for um, something other than how they look, right? That that's truly, you know, as the, the saying goes, just sort of like the cover of the book, that we care about other things a lot more. And so that they, their sense of self isn't just based on how they look. We don't want that. We want to try to open communication up with kids. So if they are hurting, they are upset, that maybe they'll talk with us. And if that ever gets to sort of a clinical place, that then we can also pull in other support for them. But I think what we're most tempted to do if we think our kids feeling insecure about these issues is to say like, oh, no, no, of course not. You know, you're beautiful or I think you're such a good looking kid or, you know, to, to say things like that. And I would never tell parents you can't offer your kids positive feedback about their appearance, but there's a couple things to be aware of. And one is that they don't totally believe us because we're their parents. And so sometimes my daughter will even say to me like, well, of course you think that you're my mom about something, right? <laughs> um, so, so that's not enough, right? It's not that we can't be supportive or positive, but we have to also really leave space for them to maybe vent and then to ask questions, to try to get them to be curious about these issues and to develop a sense of self that doesn't rely on these appearance factors. So we wanna ask questions like, well, why do you think someone said that? Or why are you so worried about that? Or do you really think that, you know, trying to look like whoever is really that important? Or are there other things you'd rather spend your time and energy on? And it can be hard because this isn't the way I think most of us were brought up necessarily. And so we have to kind of be thoughtful in how we have these conversations. And I think it, it helps to just be honest and sometimes say like, these are tough issues that a lot of people struggle with. And I really hope you don't. And I don't have all the answers, but here are some things I I do know, and, and I'm curious what your questions are, what your thoughts are, you know, just to try to, even if you're dealing with a seven or eight year old, you'd be surprised that most of them could handle that conversation. It's so hard because sometimes the like, no, 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 you look fine. You look great. You, you're, you're wonderful. You're great. Just the way you are is almost the least painful path because yeah, some of the questions that you add, like, why do you feel this way? Or who said this to you? Or all these things are going to probably produce answers that are going to be painful to you as a parent. Yeah, they can be. But I think, you know, if you can help kids work through that while they're young, you could be saving them sort of a lifetime, literally, of stress about some of this. So if you can say like, well, do you think that maybe, you know, whoever your friend was, was feeling insecure themselves? Or do you think that they're focusing on these issues a lot because of some of their own concerns? You know, sometimes what people say to us 
has a lot more to do with them than us. And that's something really important for kids All the to time. get, right? It's really, really hard to get the adults to get that. Right. It's really hard to get. Sometimes we, we can all be pretty sensitive, especially to criticism. But if we can open up kids' minds to just thinking about, well, maybe this isn't about you at all. And, and I think we all really want to raise kids who are healthy and happy and feel good about themselves. And yet we have to remember that there are many sources of that happiness and feeling good about yourself. And, and kids have different strengths. Uh, we all do, right? In terms of being good at music or good at sports or really good in school. or And we will draw people to us who appreciate those things across our lifetime. And that's hard for kids to see if you are maybe kind of a nerdy kid who maybe that's not drawing a lot of people to you in middle school. But at some point, that will draw the right people to you, the people that you want to be around. Um, and so I think we have to help our kids to see that. And some of the, the flashy, really good-looking, really um, popular people when they're young you know, that will draw people to you in your youth, especially, but really not forever. Our appearance is, is a commodity, so to speak, that doesn't always last forever and is just not enough to secure really um, good relationships or, or a lot of other things. I just love this idea of just preventative medicine and not really waiting until there's a giant problem to address yeah. these things and, and just working on them preemptively because we yeah. know what's if eventually there it's is coming. coming. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love this. And I want to talk about girls versus boys body image issues for a second because I want to know, in your opinion, if we should be addressing these differently are they similar in their, you know, in their baseline? Is, is it the same kind of feelings expressed in different ways? Or should we be kind of tackling these with different language? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think that there are certainly some similarities, but I think the manifestation of the concerns tends to differ. And so when we see girls who are dissatisfied with their bodies, there's often a lot of restrictions so they're trying to not eat certain things so they're 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 doing kind of what look like adult dieting behaviors or exercise behaviors and especially i think to us moms they're very familiar like we we know and we can spot those because most of us have done those things what's interesting and and really problematic is that when boys are having concerns the behaviors that are a manifestation of those concerns often look quote unquote healthy and they're often even missed by healthcare providers. And so uh, boys may not cut back on how much they're eating, but they may be trying to eat like more protein. Almost everyone in developed countries gets enough protein. It's one of the very few things most of us are, are pretty okay about in terms of uh, nutritional guidelines. So, so that's not a necessary course of action for, for boys or men. We also see boys oftentimes engaging in, in more sports or athletics or weightlifting. They're much more concerned about muscularity typically than girls. And again, that can look like a health behavior. And it can be a health behavior, right? There's nothing wrong with being active. We want our kids to be active, but we don't want that activity to be all consuming or to then leave our kids in a place where they don't have time to do their schoolwork or they're not socializing with friends or it's taking up a lot of mental space. I just read a recent study that said one of the biggest predictors of how young a girl is going to start dieting is her mother's dieting history. And I know that you said a lot of moms can immediately spot the behaviors because they look very familiar. And I want to know if we can really speak to our kids about body image issues while we're suffering with body image issues? Like, can we do this without healing ourselves first? Is this possible to be promoting a healthy environment for your kids if you haven't yet figured out how to do that in your own headspace? I think we can. And I think there's really nothing more motivating than our kids in terms of trying to get our own head in order. And so I would argue that 
even if you feel like you're struggling, first of all, that makes you among the minor, the majority. So don't feel bad about that. That just means that you're human living in this culture that has done that to you, frankly. So, so you shouldn't feel guilty or ashamed of that. But I think use the opportunity of kids, or if you're not a parent, you know, your students or your nieces and nephews or people in the next generation that you care about, use that as an excuse to, to work on yourself a little bit. And even if we're not a hundred percent where we want to be, first of all, I don't know if any of us ever will be a hundred percent, right? I mean, this is what I do for a living and I don't think I'm a hundred percent where I want to be. Um, but still, I think there's a lot to be said for, for faking it until you make it. Like we don't, we don't want to say things in front of our kids. Like I feel fat, right? Have I thought that? Of course, <laughs> right? But we don't want to say that. And the thing is, I think, too, when we don't let ourselves say those things in front of our kids, we're not disparaging of ourselves, we're not restricting what we eat in front of our kids, it becomes more habitual for us because, I mean, if you're living with children in your house, you can't, like, hide out from them forever. They find you all the time, it turns out. So, you know, you have to, like, you kind of have to actually start doing these sort of healthier things more often, whether that be how you're eating, how you're talking to yourself, trying to not be compulsive about activity or certain eating habits. And and so then, you know, you kind of can develop better habits yourself in, in an effort to not pass on bad habits or bad thoughts to your kids. I love that. I love that. And I love that, you know, you're okay. Show up as who you are today and commit to the best that you can do. And you know what? I think it's really important too. And I was a teacher. I used this tactic often of having kids teach another kid the concept that we had learned. And a lot of times they'd be like, well, I don't know. I'm not an expert on it. I don't know. I don't have a degree like you do, Miss Hellyer. Don't you think you should teach it? And every single time it was always the same answer, which was you will retain it better if you teach it to someone else. And so like, it's almost like working on your kids, like you're simultaneously (laughs) working on yourself and it's, that's a win-win. I think that's a great analogy. And I think that's exactly right. A lot of this is just kind of a lifelong process for, for many of us. And, you know, again, if you go back to sort of what a broad definition of body image is, it's, it's really not just about your appearance or your body. It's about your mental health more generally. And it's about trying to feel, I think, happy and content in who you are. And throughout our lives, we're going to have experiences that challenge us. So even if we're at sort of a steady, good place and we're almost 100% where we want to be, we're 95%, we're going to have setbacks because life is going to throw something at us. For a lot of people, the pandemic has been incredibly challenging to their mental health with good reason. And hopefully that won't be a a never ending challenge for us, but something else will be, you know, I mean, this is like just the real world. This is life, right? We're going to, we're not going to just be in this even keel. Everything's great all the time place because life will challenge us. And that is of course, also the beauty of life and the excitement of life that it's not static. It is the beauty of it. And when we talk to women about body image issues and body positivity specifically, they're like, I just don't find it possible to wake up and love my body every day. Like some days I'm doing good and some days I'm not. And just like normalizing that and just staying on the track of like, it's absolutely fine to hate your face today, just as long as you know that your face is not the most important thing about you. And so that's okay because we're going to, you know, we're working through it. This is life. This is every day. All right. I wanted to talk about food and the language surrounding food because so the thing with kids that I find really challenging anyways as a mom is that we obviously want them to eat nutrient-dense food once in a freaking (laughs) while. (laughs) Like have a vegetable for crying out loud. So but at the same time, like we want to avoid vilifying any foods like these are bad foods or these are not good for you or whatever. So how do we talk about nutrition and, and food groups and eating specifically without creating this like weird disordered behavior? Yeah, it's really tricky. 
And some of my graduate training was done at the Penn State Children's Eating Lab, which had some world famous uh, nutritionists and psychologists affiliated with it. And I remember after spending time there kind of thinking like, oh, well, when I have kids, I'm going to do this totally right. This is going to be easy. Like I know <laughs> all the things you're not supposed to do. And and then, of course, you, you have kids and they have their own personalities and health challenges and issues and and it's feeding kids is one of the hardest things. Yeah. Say that again for the people in the back. It's so hard to feed our kids. And people are often surprised. I think they would say maybe generously that I'm pretty loose in terms of what my kids eat. And I've even had a few friends admit to me later that like the first time their kid ever had some kind of fast food or some kind of like maybe not super nutritious food was with me and they were shocked. They were like, but wait, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 we just don't have time. We're going to like go through the drive through and then we're going to the dance recital. And then it's just, it's fine. It's not a big deal. So that's a very roundabout way of saying that I think to be psychologically healthy when it comes to food and to be able to enjoy food, we do want to be really careful as parents about restricting what our kids eat and, and also really careful in terms of how we talk about food. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to have every kind of chip in your house and every kind of ice cream and every kind of snack food. And, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable to try to cultivate a home environment that has a lot of nutrient dense food that's accessible because we know that kids often don't like foods the first time they try them. They have to have repeated exposure to like foods. And sometimes repeated exposure means like, you know, seven, eight, nine times if it's a vegetable. So we want those foods around. And then we also don't want to make them undesirable by forcing kids to eat them. Because what we do when we have them around and you have to have some broccoli before you can have dessert is we just make it really clear to kids that broccoli is so bad, I have to reward you to get you to eat this. And it actually tends to have the reverse effect than, than what we desire. So, you know, you put the broccoli on the table time and time again, and they say no a lot. And maybe you say, oh, I think it's really good tonight. I, I, cooked it just right or this sauce is really good with it or whatever it may be and you hope they try it and you hope they keep trying it until they like it but no one likes any food they were forced to eat there's just no good data to support that really so we have to be careful and this is not how we were raised either so it's a real kind of turnaround for many of us who were in the clean plate club growing up you're so right. You can't leave the table. Oh my God. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to change these behaviors. I mean, even as a parent, when you think about that as a child and you think about how awful and damaging that was, you still kind of think, well, I mean, but I don't know. That's just the way. I mean, you know. <laughs> right. Well, because unless you really think about it or read about it or really motivated to do something differently, we, we tend to fall back on what we know, what's familiar to us. Right. I mean, we've all found ourselves at some point saying something out loud that one of our parents used to say that like we swore we'd never say, right? But it's like, it's just what we experienced. And that's just part of the course. And sometimes I will say, okay, I can't believe I just said that. I didn't really mean that. <laughs> that's something, you know, grandma would have said. And my kids will laugh. That did sound like grandma, you know? But <laughs> So it's okay to walk it back. If you say something you really think later, like, or even if it's a day later, it's okay to say, you know, I don't think I handled that the best. That's just like general great parenting advice. Like take nutrition, take all of that out of it. Like it's okay to walk it back. It's okay to say like, you know what, how I, what I said yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's such an important skill to not only practice in yourself, but to like cultivate in your children and show that it's okay. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, sometimes kids don't realize that like, we're just winging this too. Right. And as my kids have gotten older, there are some things that I think I've let on much more where I'll say like, I don't really know what the right answer is here. You guys, 
Like, I'm not sure. These are the things I'm thinking. And I think there's a lot to be said for trying to encourage like that critical thinking, like here are some options, you know? And if it's about food, like fine, you know, you, you want to go get yourself Chipotle for the third time this week. I'm going to make a really nice dinner. I'd rather you stay here and eat it, but why don't you just think about how that would feel and what that experience would be like versus staying here and having whatever it is you're making. Oh my God. I can't that when they're going to drive one day. Oh God. Oh my God. At least right now I can like serve the plate of food. And my son is like, well, this is about it. This is, I can't like get in my car. Oh God. Well, you know what? You know what? You got to listen to the reins at some point. I'm just going to, I'm saying that to myself. Yeah. And more and more, they have more autonomy, right? Whether it be the cafeteria at school, right? they will go someplace like the mall or something with a friend, you know, that happens surprisingly young and they will have access to being able to get snacks and stuff on their own. And so we are not just parenting our kids so that they can eat well and feel good about themselves like in the confines of our home. They eventually are spending more and more time out in the world. I will say for a little while, I was doing the like three bites of broccoli and then you can, and then I'll give you more of whatever that that is that he wanted. And when it was pointed out to me, how harmful that was. And that also those three bites of broccoli were not doing, there was so much more harm being done there in the language of food than the three bites of broccoli was actually giving him nutritionally that I started feeling so stupid about, you know, using that tactic. But that actually cutting that out and just providing a well-balanced meal with something that I know he likes and then food I'm hopeful for. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Although there's been a lot of broccoli wasted, I will say that he has been so much more open. I'll just look over and he's like eating it. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, no one move. No one move, no one breathe. He's eating broccoli. So it's like when you took it, when you took that off, it actually like fostered the environment for wanting to, you know, try that. So I'm so on board with that advice. I've seen it work in, in, in my own life. On exercise, that's a, it's a similar connotation about, okay, we have all these messages about burning calories, about exercise being a punishment for what you eat. We want children to move and exercise. And at the same time, we do not want them to have this unhealthy relationship with exercise that a lot of us have or have been fed. Is there a good way to talk about physical activity with kids without kind of making it into too much of a thing like the broccoli? I think it's important to, uh, again, focus on what kids really like here, right? I think that a lot of kids will engage in some sort of activity that they're just, that they'll like. And so then, you know, encourage that, sign them up for more of that. Um, Try to help them become better at that um, without it being like a pressure-filled experience. Um, But if kids have exposure to different sorts of activities um, and you're open-minded about what that can entail, because not everyone's gonna be good at soccer, then I think it can be just a really healthy, fun part of kids' lives. And a lot of kids are not going to be athletes. And so then it, it comes down to, can they walk the dog, right? Do they like to swim in the summer at the community pool? Do they like some kind of dance or karate or whatever? You know, you want them to take self-defense classes. I mean. It it can be anything. I think it's important to be open-minded about what constitutes activity and, again, to really focus on just modeling a healthy relationship with activity. So don't ever talk about it as, like, punishment or I have to, you know, have to do this exercise because I had a lot of dessert last night because it's just not the way we want our kids to think about food and exercise. Um, And it's much better to to say things like, well, I feel better if I exercise, Um, I want to stay healthy, I want to, um, for me, exercise is a really important part of stress management. And so I, I, you know, I I lean into that when I talk about it, you know, 
mommy's in a better mood if she's gone on a run. Do we want me to stay? Do I go on my run? No. <laughs> There's so many ways that we can all become compulsive about activity because we get the message that like more, more, more is always better. But I would say for most people, it's not. You know, if we are truly raising like an Olympian, then yeah, they're going to spend an obscene amount of time at the gym or in the pool or on the track or whatever it may be. But most of us just aren't. So I think we have to keep that perspective really, you know, front of mind. Absolutely. And, you know, developing that idea that exercise can be a number of things, that it is, it's really grounded in what you love, taking something that you do with your physical body, enjoying it and loving it. And that it also having the side effects of, you know, making you a healthier person in stress management. I think honestly, a lot of adults could stand to, because everybody thinks like, well, if I want to do this, I've got to go get on the treadmill and I hate the treadmill. And it's like a doesn't have to be something you hate. And if you are kind of exposed to that idea at a young age, then it kind of makes it easier to to curb those disordered thoughts. I think too that just like food, if you force it, a lot of times you're gonna have sort of the opposite effects than you desire. Right. So I think there's nothing wrong with encouraging kids to, you know, try out for a team or to do something because a friend's doing it. But um, their sports among kids these days can be really intense. And so I think we have to be careful that we're not getting caught up in some of that and, um, and making it something that for a lot of kids is going to make it less fun because again, most kids are just not going to compete at that really high level. So, um, you know, to have like intense coaching and training and, uh, personal coaching and all this stuff, maybe it makes sense for a very few and, and good, but for most kids, it doesn't. So, Absolutely. I think that perspective is so important because sometimes you've got your own dreams you didn't ride out and <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the last question I wanted to ask you is regarding social media because it is there and it is available and it is extremely influential. And there's no way to shield. You can shield for as long as you want, but at a certain point, we're there. And I just, how important is it to, you know, monitor social media, to talk about social media? And what should we do to make sure that it's not having a negative effect on our kids' body issues? Yeah, I think the research is really clear that um, social media can have a negative effect on body image and even mental health, um, but it doesn't have to, and we're not going to get rid of it. So we have to work within the system, within what we are experiencing. And I think media literacy is really important here. So really talking to our kids from a young age about um, how a lot of what they see in the media is not real. You know, it's been edited, it's fake, it's trying to sell you something that we don't want to aspire necessarily to look like the people we see there. I think it's really hard even for adults to keep all of that in perspective. And yet it's valuable to remind ourselves and to explain to our kids that a lot of the sort of celebrity people we see online or in other media spaces, their job is to look a certain way. Their job is to look good. They have a team of people working on them, <laughs> whether they that be trainer, trainers or personal chefs or lighting people or makeup people or you know whatever it is, and and that's fine. But most of us don't have that job. Most of us are not going to spend all day long um, sort of perfecting our appearance, and and it would be really boring if that's all all of us were doing all the time. So. Um, I think we want to be careful about sort of keeping those sorts of things in perspective. And there, there is some data to suggest that some monitoring and some restricting has value. Um, that what kids do online matters. It's not just being in online spaces or social media platforms. Um, and some of my own research I've done in the last couple of years even focuses on this. And we found that 
kids who are using like Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, they don't look different than kids who aren't in terms of body image, unless they're doing certain things on those platforms. If they're following like beauty tutorials, if they're following Fitspiration type hashtags, that can be a problem. So we want to have some conversation with kids about what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, why are you following that person? And, and just teach them that some of those influences can be negative. I think that's, it's forced us to kind of like have these conversations way earlier than we kind of, you know, are used to, I think, as parents, like our generate our parents did not have to talk about these things. <laughs> oh, man, we really got screwed. <laughs> but I think that you're so right that it's, these are just conversations that at some point we're waiting. And the earlier that you can have them and, and really provide that that feedback, I think it's it's so good. Okay, I wasn't gonna ask you this. I went back and forth because I I don't know. I have I have feels on it, but um, I just have one more question, if you don't mind. I want to talk about where fat phobia fits into this because um, specifically, I cannot get this out of my head. I had this woman who um, is in our Facebook group, and she was talking about how she's made the word fat a swear word with her kids. Like they know that they cannot say fat. They cannot use the word fat. Like it's like a bad word. And this was, I, I totally get where this is coming from. Like her ideas were that, you know, she never wanted that word used on another child or another person as a harmful but the idea that fat is a bad word was also really bothersome to me. So I just wanted to talk about like, how do we ride that line with kids where it's like, okay, using those words against someone in a harmful way is an issue, but like fat isn't a bad word. Yeah, I mean, the language surrounding body sizes and shapes is really tricky and it's really evolved. And even the last five years, I would say, in terms of how we think about these things and talk about them and some of the research in terms of what do people of different body sizes even prefer? And it turns out that people of heavier weights actually tend to often prefer the word fat. Like they feel fat is, is just a descriptive word. It's not a bad word. It's just like thin, right? So I think, yeah, we don't want to say fat is a bad word because then what we're saying is that there's something wrong with being fat. Right. And there's something <laughs> wrong with having different body sizes. But the reality is that we all have different body sizes and shapes, and that's normal. And that's largely genetically determined. So this idea that we have complete control over our body size and shape is really a myth. And it's a myth of marketing because the more that, you know, diet companies in particular can make us feel like we can control this, we can control our bodies if we just try hard enough and we just buy enough of their products or protein bars or whatever it may be, um, the, the more that we get that messaging, the more we think there's something wrong with us if our body doesn't do what we want it to. But guess what? We don't actually have that control. Even our appetite is largely genetically determined. Some people are hungrier more often and can eat more than other people. So I don't think we want to tell people if you're hungry more often, like just to be hungry all the time, that's not like a lifelong solution, right? If you're hungry, you should eat. That's healthy and adaptive. Say it again, sister. If you're hungry, you should eat, people. You should eat, yeah. Please. So, you know, I mean, it's hard. I think what we want to tell our kids, though, is that they don't really want to comment on people's bodies a lot, period. Right? So, and again, this isn't to say that we can never comment on anyone's appearance in a complimentary way. But I actually, one of the, the girls I interviewed when I was working on the body image book for girls, she was just 14 or 15, um, but she was so smart. And I remember her saying, I've come to decide that unless there's something going on with someone's appearance that they could fix within five minutes, you just don't comment. 
And what she meant by that was like, if you have a crumb on your face or if you got some stain on your shirt or something. Sure, you help a girlfriend out. Right. (laughs) So if there's like something that like you would want someone to tell you. you Sure. You got a on you somewhere, right? Like you'd want someone to tell you that. And it's just a very easy, easily fixable thing. Fine. That was her motto. You can talk about that. Everything else, don't even do it. I thought that was like really actually pretty smart for a, a young kid. Wow. Imagine, imagine a generation that came up with that messaging. Like I can't, it's limitless, the things that they could do and the amount of shame that they would be able to live without. I know it's, it's part of what really keeps me going working on these books and these projects because I do actually feel a lot of hope and I feel like a lot of young people today get it. And, and I like to think that that may be a little bit because our generation of parents were trying, you know, we don't always get it right, but I think a lot of us are really trying to do good by our kids as far as these issues. and. God, a lot of these kids I talk to, they're smart. They have a lot of this figured out. And maybe they're not exactly where they want to be either, but they have thought through things that I didn't even start thinking about until I was like 30, I think, probably. So I think there's a lot of reasons for for hope for the next generation, and there's a lot we can do. I'm so hopeful and the amount that could be done and accomplished in the world with a whole generation that did not think that what they were presenting on the outside was the most important thing they were bringing to the room is I'm here for that and I'm excited for it. So please just, you are part of this change. And I just want to say thank you because like the work that you're doing is so instrumental in this change and the tools you're providing to parents and especially our listeners today, like this makes a difference. And I just want to say thank you for coming on and thank you for all your hard work. Oh, thank you for all you're doing. And, and I think this is what keeps me going. So I'm just really glad that there's an audience that's willing to listen and that so many people are really, like I said, being thoughtful about these issues because they're tricky. They're complicated issues and they can be stressful and hard, but, but there's a lot of change in the works and I think we all see it in different ways. Where can our listeners hear more from you? Where can they get more Charlotte Markey? Yeah, so you can go to the bodyimagebookforgirls.com or the bodyimagebookforboys.com and information about the kids' books and other books and um, media clips and, and all that kind of stuff is, is available there and also a contact sheet if for any reason people want to reach out. Absolutely. Guys, I'm in the middle of the Body Image Book for Boys from Asun, and I cannot recommend it enough. If you are a parent or you've got any influence over any child in your life, you're going to want this. So grab her book. Charlotte, thank you so much for being with us. And guys, have an amazing week. Thank you so much for listening to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. If you'd like to join our movement, get in our free app, CVG Nation, available in your app store. We have an amazing community of women, coaches to help you with your movements, challenges, and we give away leggings daily in there. Rachel and I are in there every day, so it's a perfect place to get in touch with us. This podcast is made possible by Constantly Varied Gear, so be sure to check out ConstantlyVariedGear.com. Have an amazing week. Crush your goals.